Each week, Richard and Father Mark present a rigorous discussion of the Bible in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. Over 24,000 episodes are downloaded each month at no charge. Please consider marking your level of support with a one-time donation or by pledging a small amount per episode. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. People tend to overestimate their own importance while ignoring or at least underestimating the value of others. This problem is keenly felt in the church at Roman Corinth where Paul uses the success of others to realign the self-view of his disciples. Richard and I discuss 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 16 to 24. You're listening to the Bible as literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 134 of the Bible as Literature podcast. We are moving on today to the second half of chapter 8, which goes a little deeper into the role of Titus and the role of Paul's broader movement. It's so important to remember when you're dealing with Paul that he's not just dealing with you, he's dealing with everybody. It's a broad tent. I think one of the sins at work in the church in Roman Corinth is this belief that Paul needs them. But as we've insisted upon over and over again in this podcast, a teacher does not need his disciples. A true parent does not need his or her children. And Paul, in 2 Corinthians, does not need the church in Roman Corinth. The Lord says that there is a flock that you don't know about, that there are people that he will find. And in the Old Testament, I'm working with the Gentiles, don't worry about it. There's always somebody else. Understanding that you're not the only one who's receiving this is important because the problem that the Corinthians are having, which is a typical problem of not even just Christians, but uh, religious people overall, is that they feel like they have special knowledge that makes them better than other people. And then once they think that they're better than other people, they stop working on behalf of other people. And the knowledge leads to self-righteousness, and self-righteousness leads to an absence of action on behalf of others. The Corinthian sin is that they are puffed up because they think they understand better than anybody. This is their downfall, and this is what Paul has been working at so far for eight chapters this time. And he had a whole other letter to them. And like we said in our last episode, the people need to understand that they have failed. That's why they're getting the letter. The problem with modern churches is that they believe that God needs them. They believe that if they don't gather as church and get as many people as possible in the doors, that God will fail. They really believe that the value of the Bible comes from their ability to build a community. They believe that without their community, the Bible can't do anything. This is the sin that Paul is addressing here in the second half of chapter 8. And it's a sin on multiple levels. First, because it ignores the fact that the people living today aren't the only people who have ever lived, and they are not the only people who will ever live. 
when you talk about the harvest and the work of the gospel, if you only talk about it in terms of the people in your circle today or the people within your purview today, however broad that may be, it's still a limited perspective in the spirit of Ecclesiastes. But it's also sinful and arrogant because it ignores that God could have as many communities as he wants in as many places as he wants beyond your purview, beyond the scope of your perspective or your view, what you can see. Just because somebody is our enemy doesn't necessarily mean that they're God's enemy. God can use our enemies in order to judge us. Understanding that the outsider can be on God's side is something that goes against our so-called knowledge. If we have correct knowledge, then we're serving the other, we're serving the enemy, so-called, because that's what we're called to do. God takes the tension with the outsider and he turns it against his addressee in the Bible and pressures them to realize that it is not the Bible that needs them. It is not Paul who needs the church in Roman Corinth. It is not God who needs the church in order to produce life in the world. It's not true. It is the church that needs God. I cannot stress this enough. It is the church in Roman Corinth that needs what Paul is teaching. They can take it or leave it. But God is the father of many communities. Now, under God's hegemony, all those communities are called to gather under one tent, but it's not our tent. The sin of the church in Jerusalem is that they tried to make it their tent. They said, okay, we understand we're all supposed to hold hands and be together. So let me explain how you join the church in Jerusalem so we could fulfill God's vision for the world. No, God's vision for the world is not the church in Jerusalem. God's vision for the world is that people who are different according to God's will the way he made them, that those people would come together in the broad inclusive tent of God's city. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. So again, we know that the church in Roman Corinth is sinful and rebellious. We know that they are disloyal to Paul, which is the same as being disloyal to the teaching. We know all this. We've been talking about it. And here Paul is emphasizing that the lieutenant he sent to search out their corruption and destroy it was sent in earnestness on their behalf. Earlier was talking about the earnestness and eagerness the Corinthians have in spite of their absence of good works, which is, of course, a dig against them. And then he says, thank God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. Thank God Titus is willing to do this. Because it's only God that could have motivated him to come to you to do this one last time. I didn't even want to do this. But thank God Titus was willing because it needed to be done. What the employee never understands is that the difficult conversation is more pressure on the manager than it is on the employee. It's not like Titus enjoys cleaning house. It's pressure on Titus. It's hard work. It's stressful. It's unnecessary aggravation. But Titus implicitly is loyal to the gospel and diligent to do the work of the gospel for he not only accepted our appeal but being himself very earnest he has gone to you of his own accord i didn't even have to ask him he knew based on the teaching 
what was the right thing to do, and so he did it without my saying anything. So no one can accuse me of being a tyrant and forcing people to do my will. I don't force anyone to do my will. The only reason why I'm pressuring you with my words is because you are not following the will of God. But let me give you an example. Here's a guy who has to do a really rotten job, come to try to teach you to do the right thing. But guess what? I didn't even have to tell him to. It was God who pressured him, and he was willing to follow the will of God. This is even beyond me. Here's the deal, guys. Titus is on the bus. Where are you? Titus is aligned. Titus accepts the program. Titus now is in full motion on his own. Where are you? Get on the bus. Paul just wants to keep driving the bus and keep moving ahead. And Titus says, Paul, I know the Corinthians don't want to be on the bus, but would you mind if I took a moment to swing by to see if there's some way I could pick them up and persuade them to get on the bus? And Paul says, Corinthians, thank God that Titus received the grace of God to even want to come pick you up. We have sent along with him the brother whose fame in the things of the gospel has spread through all the churches. In other words, the guy who I don't even have to name because he's famous for his earnestness with Titus and known throughout all of the churches is on the bus. And by the way, did I mention not one church, not two, I said all the churches. This other guy who's known across all the churches, meaning... There are lots of people on the bus, not just Titus. Titus is one of many lieutenants on the bus. What's your problem? You can either join the program or step aside. And not only this, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself to show our readiness. So, while you're whining that I didn't come to visit you or I got delayed or whatever it is you were complaining about. The other churches, which are better than you, were funding not just my activities, but they were supporting these brethren and supporting me. They're doing the work. They're putting their money where their mouth is. I hate to break it to you, but that other employee has more responsibility and complains less. In the ancient world, travel was not difficult like we think of travel being difficult in that you have to take off your shoes before you go through security. You have to travel, which is taxing. Ships, walking, all this sorts of thing. Do you carry enough money for your entire trip? There's no way to carry enough money for your entire trip. There's no ATM so you can get money. And if you have all your money with you, bandits know exactly who to go after. It's travelers because they have to carry as much as they can with them. So really a traveler at this time was at the mercy of God's good fortune. And so understanding that these people were willing to do this work, that the gift, so to speak, like we use flippantly in our culture, was to take on this difficult task of going to the Corinthians and visiting them. This was not easy on its own, and that he was willing to go to a place where the message may or may not be welcome. He and his colleague Titus may or may not be welcome. Paul has to exhort them, make sure you welcome them. Why does he have to exhort them to welcome them? They said they understood the gospel. Excuse me? Someone who understands the gospel, you have to remind them to take in strangers who are bringing the gospel on their behalf? This shows Paul has a little bit of doubt in how much 
the gospel sunk in. The grace you're talking about that was imparted to Titus and to the other brethren who are traveling and doing the work of the gospel is now being imparted by Paul directly to the church in Roman Corinth, and it's being imparted as we've said many times, through this shaming. And I want parents who are listening to the podcast to pay close attention. You are withdrawing grace when you are fair with your children. If you tell your children that the other kids are behaving better than them, they're going to have to face inadequacy. They're going to have to face their shortcomings. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. And that is what Paul is doing here. He is cracking the whip. There's work to be done. There's so much at stake. I just told you that I'm committed to the gospel, to the will of God, and I am emboldened by the will of God. And nothing short of the life of the world and fellowship with enemies is at stake. And you're whining because you're uncomfortable. You better believe I'm going to remind you that the others are better than you. Just like we often remind our American brothers and sisters that people elsewhere have it much worse than they can even dream of. That's the Bible, friends. And this shows the readiness of the gospel, that Paul has a teaching that is fully mature in certain individuals, Titus and this brother being the examples. So it's a reminder also to the people that there is a mature expression of the gospel. It's in these individuals, so watch what they do and do as they do. They're going to be your examples because the teaching itself hasn't produced the fruit in you taking precautions so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this precious gift. Paul was handed the responsibility for the precious gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he is not going to squander it on his watch. So again, get on the bus or get out of the way. I'm not going to risk the gift because I don't need you and the gift does not need you. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Now, this is tough because we've been saying for many, many chapters, many, many weeks, that honor in the sight of human beings doesn't matter, that they only care about what is honor in the eye of the Lord. Now, we have also mentioned, and I want to bring this up, that it's a matter of priority, that when you show honor to the Lord first... This may or may not be seen as honorable in the eyes of certain human beings. Paul is very aware of what honor means for the Lord and what honor means for human beings. And this is the paradigm that he's challenging because human beings tend to believe in the honor of human beings first and then try to fit in honor of the Lord inside of that. What Paul has always been trying to do is make sure it's in the correct order. Here he says that they know what honor looks like for human beings. So one of the things that Paul has to make sure is that these human beings are willing to follow the will of God, but not in order to thumb their nose at human beings, but to ignore the authority of human beings. When Paul talks about head coverings in 1 Corinthians, his point is not that he respects the tradition of the Romans, who are obsessed with honor, by the way. It's not that he embraces the tradition of women covering their heads when they go to worship Venus. I mean, that tradition is non-functional for Paul. But his point is that out of love, if you have no reason to offend the Roman, you shouldn't because you don't want to alienate them from the gospel. The gospel is the priority. 
So by covering your head in church, you show honor before the Romans. You honor their customs and you are honorable in their eyes. Not because the act is honorable ontologically. It's because the deference you show functions honorably in the eyes of God, but also happens to be honorable before men for the cause of the gospel. Right, because like he says in the previous verse, no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. We don't want anyone to say they have no idea what they're talking about. Earlier they were talking about Paul is being punished because he's teaching the gospel. But if there are distractions, it's, okay, he teaches the gospel fine, but he's philandering with women, then it's like, okay, rein yourself in to make sure that you are focusing on the gospel. If anyone's going to slander you, it's because you are teaching the gospel. You don't want people to hate you because you're an idiot. I mean, you don't want people to hate you. But if people are going to hate you, let it be because you're telling them to love Muslims. Let it be because you're telling them to repent of their sins. Let it be because you're telling them to turn the other cheek. Let it be because you're asking them to abort their sick ideology. Let those be the reasons that people think you're stupid. Don't be stupid. This is what Paul is saying. And this is what Paul has been exhorting Titus and his lieutenants to do. We have sent with them our brother whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. Man, he thought he had it tough before. Now he's got to deal with you people. That reminds me of when I took a new job at work and there was a team that had always been at odds with the team that I was taking over. And there was historical conflict and I came in and I was like, you know, I'd really like to try to work on this and try to help out. And everyone was, yeah, Richard, we, we know you're good at this sort of thing. I don't know how you're going to crack this nut. I'm like, I'm going to give it a try. And now, six months later, they all make fun of me. You were very diligent in trying to fix that problem, but I don't know if you ever did. I don't know if I ever did fix the problem, but the diligence in doing the right thing is the main thing. Maybe it's naive. Maybe these brethren are naive in thinking they can correct the Corinthians. Paul already knows. He He tried one letter. One letter didn't work. He tried visiting. That didn't help. Now Titus said he wanted to go. All right, I'll let Titus go. And these two brethren who are all going because of the gift of charity they've received from the Lord that they understand, look, we received this gift. It's our duty to offer this gift to somebody else. And if somebody's not getting it, we have to offer them the teaching again. Paul's not going, but these other guys are. And this shows their diligence in being willing to take on what needs to be taken on, even if it is a losing proposition for them. It's as the great Lebanese scholar Nassim Talib said recently on his own Facebook page. When you argue, don't argue to convince someone. Argue to convince the people who are listening in. You're not going to change someone's mind. So if you're arguing, it has to be didactic. That's what scripture is. He absolutely captured what scripture is. It's a public argument that has no desire to convince the implied addressee of the argument. Paul is arguing with the church in Roman Corinth about a specific problem and a specific set of sins. But he's arguing for all of us to listen in. So when you go in and try and solve a problem that's unsolvable, it doesn't matter because even if you fail, if you're doing the right thing, people around you will gain the gift from your earnestness. That's the thing. And that's ominous because in the end, if Titus fails, if Paul fails, it doesn't matter if he fails in the church in Roman Corinth because... 
Paul is responsible for the gift and he's succeeding in other churches, so get over yourself. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brethren, they are messengers of the churches, a glory to Christ, re-emphasizing once again, not only are the other churches on the bus, but now they have to send people to evangelize you. So there is a distinction here. Titus is the right-hand man of Paul traveling along with him, but these other people come from specific churches. They are members of particular communities already, and these communities have said, we're going to send people too. These people in our community have this grace to desire to go and teach wayward communities too. They want to help people who are struggling with the teaching get back on the bus. So there is a teacher who understands this as well as Paul. It's Titus. There are even communities who understand this better than Corinth. Don't forget, Corinth's problem was that they thought they understood. They thought they had the teaching. They thought they had this down. And Paul said, I'm not seeing it. Therefore, openly, before the churches, show them proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. In other words, you have been disloyal to me and you have brought shame to me because I have vouched for you and I have taken you under my wing and I have mentored you and I have taught you, but you have not shown yourself. You have not proven yourself to be my children. Please, let's just stop. The other churches honor me before you. Please, you need to honor me before the other churches. You need to honor me before God that my running for your sake has not been in vain. That it has not been in vain. Show them the proof of your love. And that we're not just boasting for no reason. Give them something to tell me. There is no good news coming out of Corinth. I'm not seeing the fruit. I'm not hearing about fruit. All I'm hearing is some rumblings that are not good. Please prove me wrong. I'll make my best effort, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. <laughs> Have a great week. We'll see you. Thank Take you, care. too, Father. just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.